0: Thank you guys for being here. This, if you don't know, is Time Change Sunday and it's also uh, Spring Break Sunday. So I mean, just getting here, 80% of success is showing up. So you guys have already made it. You are already successful this morning and I've been praying for you. And let me tell you what I've been praying for you about or for or whatever preposition that you wanna put at the end of that sentence. Um, I've been praying that God will surprise you this morning. Because sometimes on the most unlikely Sundays, God does things that we don't expect because he's God and we're certainly not. We in our house, uh, we have a a tall bed. The bedroom is uh, Princess Joy, it's her domain. She decorates it the way she wants to. As I've shared with you before, I've been moved out of our closet downstairs to the guest room closet. Joy has show pillows on the bed. Our bed is tall, taller than anybody's bed should be. Probably comes up to about my waist. And so you have to do a little jump to get up on the bed um, if you're short like like I am. And for whatever reason, it doesn't bother Joy. Well, the other day, yesterday, she decided that she was gonna put a bench um, in our bedroom at the foot of our bed. And our bed has been the same, our bedroom has been the same for the entire time we've lived in our home. I am used to being able to get up in the middle of the night. I'm used to being able to walk around in the dark. I'm used to not having obstacles in my way. Last night, things changed. Um, about 3 o'clock in the morning, I jumped down to go to the restroom, walked with purpose as I always try to walk. I never walk slow anywhere. Went around the side of the or the end of the bed, hung a hard right turn right into the new bench that Joy put at the end of the bed, hit the worst possible spot right below your kneecap where your kneecap and your shin bone meet which made me fall to the ground, not wanting to yell back nine words, front nine words are okay, but back nine words, trying to keep those to a minimum. And the worst part of everything is my wife's poodle, Daisy. She doesn't bite you, she judges you. And she was at the foot of the bed, looking off the bed at me, judging me and my clumsiness. Now, here's the point. The point is, I've been praying that you'll be surprised that God's gonna put a bench at the end of your bed today. I don't want you to get hurt, but I want you to know that no one's gonna be judging you. We are in this together. And as we grow together, as we see things about ourselves that may need to change, as we realize that none of us are perfect, that we're all trying to follow Jesus, we'll get there together. No one's judging, no back nine words. We'll let God be God. And I'm excited about what he's gonna do in us this morning. We are continuing our series on footsteps of faith, one step at a time, baby steps of faith. We've talked over the last few weeks about taking steps away from fear. We've talked about things that we put on, gentleness and humility and kindness. And we talked last week in our small groups about forgiveness and how important forgiveness is. And really in our small group, we almost got stuck on that, on that concept. And so as we're learning these things and relearning these things, I'm reminded that it's the simple stuff that Jesus kept pointing his disciples back to, saying, when you get this stuff right, then we can move on to something else. You and I, oftentimes, we don't get the simple stuff right. I don't get the simple stuff right. So today we're going right back to some simple stuff, week five in our Footsteps of Faith series. Let's start off together with the title slide, the screen that we've been using for the last five weeks or four weeks, and we'll continue to use this for the next three weeks. It reminds us of where we're heading, why we're in this series, and I wanna read it to you. Sometimes the Christian life seems like a never-ending game of Jesus Says. Rules, rules, rules. However, when we look closely at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we learn that Jesus' offer to his first century audience is the same as his offer to us today. He invites us to have a relationship with him, and it begins with a simple request. Just take one step at a time. So today, the story that I'm going to be talking to you about is the next step in our footsteps of faith. It's the next logical thing for us to do. We've talked about the things we leave behind. We've talked about the things that we put on. We've talked about the calling. Well, today we're gonna talk about the cost. And I don't want you to be concerned about this. I don't want you to be off-put or feel like that it's a negative message because there's something I want you to at least allow the possibility of this being true. This is it. Maybe your life that you have in mind, maybe your opinions, your goals, Your dreams, your plans, maybe they're not the best goals and dreams and opinions and plans. Maybe they're not the best at all. Now we like them, right? I love my opinions. I tell my wife all the time, I love my opinions because they're mine. Are they right? Not all the time, but I like them. I'm partial to them. They're right. I wouldn't have them if I didn't think they're right. I like my plans for my life because they're my plans. It seems like I can control some of my plans. I like my ideas because I've usually thought of them or I've heard one of you guys say them and I like them, but perhaps it's not the best. Maybe there's a God who thinks on a different level than you and I do. Maybe we're not God but maybe we act like it. Jesus is suggesting this to his disciples. He's like, perhaps there's a different life. Maybe there's freedom and peace that comes through following me. And maybe you've got to think about things a different way. So when I talk to you about the cost, it's not a negative thing. It's a privilege to be able to pay this cost because it allows us to see our life the way God sees it to live our life on an entirely different plane. Now, we are gonna be in the book of Mark. Now, this story that I'm talking to you about occurs two other places. Mark, it occurs in Matthew, I believe chapter 16. I believe that it occurs also in uh, Luke chapter nine, I think, this is Mark chapter eight. It's three times in the gospels. It's a really, really important story. It's the pinnacle. It's the top of the mountain in the book of Mark. It's the time when the disciples finally say, I get it, Jesus, you are who you say you are. Now, I like to put myself in the shoes of the people who followed Jesus back in the first century. And it's easy for me to do because these were not perfect people. These were men and likely women who had come from all different backgrounds. And Jesus collected them and said, follow me. They said, we don't understand what it means to follow you. And Jesus said, I don't care, just follow me. Some of them said, we're scared to follow you. And he said, it's okay, just follow me. Some of them said, I don't have enough faith to follow you. And he said, it's okay, just follow me. So he collected this group of people around him. Some were educated, some uneducated, some white collar, some blue collar, some criminals, some who were religious beyond all religious. And they would gather around the same campfire and ask questions from Jesus. And Jesus was patient with them. But can you imagine the conversations that they would have had? And they followed Jesus around at this point for more than two years, watching him heal people, watching him feed people, watching him cast out demons. And they finally get to the point where they're like, I see you, Jesus. I understand who you are. Yep, I believe it. And it was profound and it was life-changing and it's the same point that you and I have either been to or perhaps some in here Well, your life is leading you to this point. It's the crescendo of the book of Mark. Everything rises toward it. And after it, everything comes and flows from it. The disciples finally made the right decision about the person of Jesus, but they questioned Jesus' plan. And I think it's fair because when you hear Jesus explain his plan, I would have questioned it too. We're gonna talk a little bit about the cost of following Jesus, but let me remind you, my opinions, my thoughts, my plans for my life and my ideas may not be God's at all. I believe that there is a God who knows everything, who controls everything, and who has access to all the information. And I believe his plans for my life are better than mine, which means I have to choose. So do you. Let's dive in. Let's dive into Mark chapter eight. I love this passage that is Jesus and his disciples. They went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi and on the way he asked his disciples, who do people say I am? Dangerous question. I don't think I wanna ask this question from many people. The question could go a bunch of different ways, right? Jesus is hanging out with his disciples. Don't think about his disciples the way you might've learned about them if you grew up in church on a flannel graph or with some teacher teaching you that they were all perfect and holy and their feet didn't touch the ground and they didn't have conflict and they had all the answers and they were a nice little Sunday school class that just kind of followed Jesus around. I'm telling you, real people, real questions, real life. And Jesus looks at him, he's like, hey, fellas, what's the word on the street? about me. Now, you could hear some bad things if you were to ask people, what are people saying about me? One of the worst things you could hear is that, well, people aren't talking about you at all, right? You're irrelevant. But Jesus asked him. He's starting up a conversation. I love the fact that he asked. So they answer. You want to know? Jesus will tell you. Now, here's another little insight into the relationship that Jesus allows with us. He allows us to talk to him. I mean, the disciples didn't say, what do you want to hear, Jesus? We want to make sure we give the churchy answer, Jesus, right? We got to make sure we answer it right with some scripture and maybe throw in some these and some vows. And we want to make sure that we impress you with our, with our words. And they just answered him. They're like, look, the word on the street's not great, Jesus. They think that you are. They replied, some say John the Baptist. Now, why would they say that? John the Baptist was portrayed as quite eccentric a lone voice out in the wilderness, eating weird things, dressing in weird ways, hollering about the coming Messiah. Well, because people didn't expect Jesus to look like Jesus looked. The people who were looking for the Messiah, they looked at Jesus and they're like, no, nah, no, nah, you may know him, you might be before him, but you're not the guy. You don't look like a leader. You certainly can't win in battle. Uh, you're not going to overthrow the Roman government. But you might be the guy who's coming before the guy, the guy who's going to tell us about the guy. You may be the guy who's the lone voice crying out in the wilderness. I mean, they like you, Jesus. I mean, they're fans. They think you're a good teacher, but you're not the guy. And then they go on. Now, this isn't the disciples. This is the disciples telling Jesus, what? What's the word on the street? They say, others say Elijah. Well, why would they say Elijah? Elijah. The Old Testament tells us that Elijah precedes Jesus. And and in the Bible, if you're reading scripture straight through, it seems like Elijah's right before Jesus, even though there's hundreds and hundreds of years in between. But we knew that Elijah had to come before Jesus came. And so they're like, maybe you're Elijah. He was a pretty good dude. Maybe. They think you're Elijah. Yeah, we don't know what to do with Jesus. Let's put him in a category. We don't want to call him crazy. He's a good teacher. He's healed some people. He's done some cool stuff we'll just call you Elijah. Some say one of the other prophets, probably talking about Jeremiah. There was a tradition uh, in the Maccabees that Jeremiah snatched the Ark of the Covenant and ran off and hit it on a mountain when some invaders were coming in to kill some of the Jewish people. And before Jesus came, Jeremiah would have to go back and take the Ark of the Covenant. And you know, there's it, not, not scripture, just history. And maybe you're, maybe you're that guy. And Jesus is like, all right, I get it, I know. Verse 29, he says, but what about you? Now, this is the important question, friends. This is the question that could be just as personal as Jesus pointing it right to me, right to you. He says, what about you? I I get what the crowds say. Let's put that aside for a second. But I wanna know what you say. Who is it that I am? What about you? He said, Who do you say I am? And Peter says, You're the Messiah. Now, in Matthew and in Luke, we get more detail. Scripture never conflicts. Scripture is absolutely true. Never conflicts, but complements. And so there's more detail in the other two accounts. There's different details in this particular account. But when, when Peter says, You are the Messiah, Jesus says, man, that's it, God gave that to you. You know this because it's true and truth comes from God. Great job, Peter, that's correct. And, and Peter, man, he was on, on a high. Jesus had just given him an A, put a star on his forehead, right? Give him a, a mark in his book and said, Peter, you did it. Great, great answer. And then Jesus says something weird. Don't tell anybody. Now, why in the world would Jesus not want you to tell anybody? If you just had something revealed to you from God and Jesus goes, you didn't get that from a human. You got that from God. I would want to tell everybody about it. Hey, I got this from God. Come here. I want to tell you something I got from God. And if you were interested, you'd certainly listen. So, so we see Jesus saying, don't tell anybody. Now some people think it's because Jesus had become too popular and the crowds were just getting a little too much. And, Jesus just needed a little breathing room or space. Some commentators, they say, well, Jesus had done so many miracles, there were people following him around. They just wanted the stuff. And Jesus was trying to separate from people who just wanted the stuff. I don't think either of those are true. I think it's probably because the full gospel hadn't yet been revealed and Jesus was getting ready to share some more things that were gonna complete the picture and then say, now go tell everybody everything. So as we move on, the story changes here. If it were a movie and there was background music, there'd be some pretty chill music coming up to this, right? Just some traveling music, just some music where you're just kind of listening in the background and it's a nice and smooth and easy pace. And then the drama would pick up a little bit here. In verse 31, if there was background music to scripture, there'd be a little bit of a rhythm, a little bit of a pace. The cadence would increase the drama. And the Bible says he began to teach them. He began to teach them that the son of man, that Jesus must suffer things and be rejected by the elders, the religious leaders, the chief priests, more of the religious leaders and the teachers of the law. Guess what? More religious leaders. And that he must be killed after three days and rise again. He spoke plainly about this. So Peter, the spokesperson for the group, right? Peter's the guy who liked to be, well, he was the talker the self-appointed leader. Now, when you're a self-appointed leader and you're the talker, and when somebody asks a group questions and you're the one who answers, you are the one who gets the accolades, but you also get the rebuke. And there's three times in this passage that, that a rebuke, that strong language is used in the original language to talk about a rebuke. The first one is when Jesus says, don't tell anybody about me. He was being strong. He was like, don't tell anyone. I'm serious. Don't tell anyone. Now, here we see it again. Jesus is talking about things that are bumming the disciples out. And so Peter, he pulls Jesus aside. And he's good. Look, we said we, we believe you. We know who you are. You're God. But you've got to stop talking about this stuff because you're really, I mean, you, the death stuff, Jesus, the suffering stuff, the rejection stuff, you've got to stop. It's depressing. Let's go back and talk about prayer. Let's talk about feeding people. Why don't we schedule some miracles? You know, let's go on a book tour. And he's trying to manage Jesus. So Jesus turns. He looked at his disciples, right? The whole group. But he singled out Peter because Peter's the one who's talking. And he says, get behind me, Satan. Ouch. Ouch behind me, Satan? He said, you don't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Here, Jesus begins to separate those who are in it to consume and those who are genuinely committed. What he's saying to Peter is, You're only following me to see what you can get. You care more about what happens to you as you follow me than you even care about what happens to me as I fulfill the Old Testament prophecy and God's plan for my life. You are acting like Satan himself because you're gonna ruin it. You're making it about you. What if Peter, What if your opinion, your plans, your thoughts, your goals, your dreams, what if they're not from God? What if they're from you? What if you need to make a choice? Well, that is a strong, can we go back one slide there, I'm sorry. I paused where I didn't pause in the first service. When uh, Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him, Peter had to make a choice. When Jesus looked back at his disciples and rebuked Peter and called him Satan, he laid out a diverging trail, a right and a left, a right and a wrong. thats going to lead to this concept of cost, of denial, of dying to self. And it's going to seem like when we turn the page here and we go to the next slide, it's gonna seem like it takes a turn for the negative. And it seems like it gets a little intense and even a little harsh. But if you think about it the right way, it's not negative and it's not intense and not harsh at all. It just makes sense. And I was thinking about a date the other day that Joy and I went on. Um, We went out to lunch. It's weird when you're, we've been married 32 years. And when you have kids and you go out on a date, and by the way, dating's important. if you're married, it's important to still date, right? I've learned that. When you got kids and you go out on a date, all you do is talk about your kids. That's what you do. You talk about your kids and Joy usually said, Rick, you gotta get a hold of the boys. You gotta get them, straighten them out. You got you should give me a list of things to, to do. With Richard and Nathan, because they were my boys when they were in trouble. And yeah, we talk about the boys and we talk about schedules and we manage our calendars and you know, there's all that stuff to do. Man, when your kids are gone, and you sit down with your wife or your husband across the table and you look at the person who's across the table, you find out how good your relationship is right then because you got nothing to talk about, right? And, and so you got to figure out what, you know, and so we do this and we have, a, good t- we have a, a pretty good time doing this. You know, we put the phones away and sit there and stare at each other and we start talking and, and you know, you remember why you fell in love in the first place. It's pretty cool. But we went to California Pizza Kitchen. And um, we eat pretty lean at the Mellic House, pretty boring. Um, and um, it's intentional. We eat, I eat tons of grilled chicken, lean pork, white rice, steamed veggies all the time, every day. Same meal, same breakfast, same lunch, almost the same dinner. When we go out, we don't eat that way. We call it cheat night, which means a whole different thing for some people. Uh, for us, that means we eat what we want, right? That's cheat night for us. And uh, we went to, to California Pizza Kitchen, we sit down. And I looked at my wife and I said, do not even think about ordering a $17 piece of grilled chicken, because if you order grilled chicken that we have in our fridge at home, I said, but don't even do that, I'm not paying for it. So we ordered the worst thing on the menu, the worst. We ordered french fries with it. I ate every single french fry. We had the bread and the butter and we ate it. And well, we, I mean, we knew what we were doing. And, and we had to go buy an emergency pair of jeans for joy and not because she ate too much at all. We were going to the mall before that she'd kill me. If she was here, she had, she had to leave after first service. Don't tell her, please. This is just our secret, just between, between you and me. And we're walking around the mall and we feel terrible. We're like, oh, what did we do? Why did we stuff ourselves? Now we knew ahead of time that we weren't gonna feel great. We knew we had to make a choice when the waitress handed us our menu and we did it on purpose. And we looked at each other for the next hour as we walked around saying, we need a nap. This is terrible. Why did we choose to do this to ourselves? We deny ourselves all the time, friends. We do. And we instinctively know what's gonna make us feel really good and what's good for us. And we know what's gonna make us feel really bad and what's bad for us. And it's about choosing. It's about choosing what we know. And so when the, the conversation here shifts a little bit, and Jesus says, look, maybe you ought to be a little more careful about what you eat. Maybe you need to choose, make choices that are really going to make you feel good. Maybe I know what's right for you. And maybe you don't really know what's right for you. Just stick with me. It's not necessarily a bad thing but it does get a little bit more intense. He called the crowds to him along with his disciples. And he said, whoever wants to be my disciple, I put the word follower in there because that's what disciple means, but that's not in the NIV. That's just me putting that in there. Must do three things, deny themselves, take up their cross, follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for some to gain the whole world and forfeit your soul? Now he begins a conversation here that was a little mystical for the disciples. There were a whole group of people in the Old Testament called the Sadducees, and they didn't believe there was a heaven. The Old Testament doesn't talk a lot about heaven. So people who studied the Old Testament scriptures, sometimes they came to the conclusion that life was just about following God here and that you just sort of went, it just ended. Jesus began to talk about heaven and talk about an afterlife, and he's not just hinting here, but, I mean, he's talking about the fact that what purpose is it, what good is it, if you get everything you want in life, but you lose your soul. If you had 30 things that define success in life, my plans, my goals, my thoughts, my opinions, my choices, and you got every single one of them, I mean whether it be houses, cars, whether it be vacations, I mean whether it be, I mean whatever, you just you put it it doesn't matter. Just put it in there. Jobs, kids achievements, everything you want. And then you were getting ready to die. And you knew it. And Jesus came to you and he said, "Okay, you have a choice. You give me this stuff that you have over here, everything you've ever wanted, and you can have eternal life, or you keep your stuff and you spend eternity in separation from me in hell. What do you choose? And the disciples are like, well, of course, easy question. We choose heaven, we choose, it's an easy question. Jesus is pointing out something. Our soul is worth more than anything we might find here on this life, but we have to live a different way. We gotta think a different way. We have to turn our back on our own thoughts, opinions, ideas, agendas, our goals. He said, whoever wants to save their life, we're going to lose it anyway, no matter how hard we try to prolong our life. But whoever loses their life after living with purpose will save it. What good is it if you get everything that you say you want, but you end up losing what's really important? What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? And then he says, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the son of man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his father's glory with the angels. I wanna try to explain that to you in just a second, but we're gonna conclude this with just a a little acronym. I like acronyms because it helps me remember. I'm 52 years old and if I sleep uh, after I learn something, I usually forget it. And so acronyms help me remember. And the word deny here, it comes from scripture, but don't get caught up on this word. It's just D-E-N-Y, It help me organize some thoughts that I think best communicate this scripture so that if you want to remember it as well, you can remember it. And maybe these are some things that we can apply to our lives as you and I take this next step of faith. Deny is simply die to self, embrace the mission, nothing more valuable and you are necessary it was kind of funny because uh, there was a girl in first service and she came up afterwards and she said, when you put that up on the screen, I thought it said Denny, not deny. And she was laughing. She was, thought that was so funny. She missed the whole point. And I don't want you to miss the point. This is deny, right? Die to self, embrace the mission, nothing more valuable. You are necessary. But let's look at this first little concept here. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Now, Jesus had not yet told his disciples that he was going to be crucified. They knew he was going to die. But this crucifixion was an idea that he laid out at a later time. But as Jesus says that if you want to be his disciple, you must deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. What this literally means is that when you were growing up, or if you have kids in your home, did you ever hear from your parents or do you ever tell your kids, you really need to get some better friends? You ever hear that? You become like the company you keep, right? If you want me to show you your future, show me your friends. It's true, very true. We'd all nod our heads. Well, what this is saying is, Jesus is saying, look, you need to get a better friend than yourself, right? (laughs) You need to separate yourself from yourself because if you follow yourself, yourself's gonna lead you and you want me to show you your future? I'll show you, you know. He's saying, look, turn your back deny yourself i don't want to be that guy anymore my hopes my dreams my thoughts even my beloved opinions perhaps they're not the right ones and their choices that are going to make me free fill me with peace and give me a purpose so i turn my back on the old guy i need better friends i used to be my friend now i'm a follower of jesus I realized my sinfulness and I abandoned my self-effort. E, embrace the mission. Jesus is communicating to the disciples that salvation is free, it doesn't cost us anything, but following him eventually is gonna cost you something. Now, I don't wanna be too dramatic, but I wanna make sure I prepare you because you're taking steps of faith, you're following in footsteps of faith and as you take one step that leads to the next, that leads to the next, There's going to be a time when you're going to face situations or a situation where you're going to have to choose right or left. You're going to have to choose old Rick or new person or put your own name in there, not Rick. You're going to have to make a decision who you want to be. I'm a follower of Christ or a follower of self. And oftentimes it doesn't happen while you're listening to a message or even when you're reading scripture. It happens in the middle of your life. It's often a moral imperative. It's going to feel a little bit desperate, maybe even like you're dying but you're going to have to choose. And you may go through the same logical thought process that I go through. It doesn't make sense. It'd be a little safer if I did it this way, but you just know that living for Jesus is going to force you to make a choice that's a little different than living for yourself. And you look around and you say, are my friends doing it? Sometimes they are, sometimes they're not. we decide who we want to be. When you choose to be a follower of Christ, well, we choose Jesus. Follower literally means to imitate. And we imitate Christ. N, D-E-N. We're almost done. There's a D-E, an N, and then a Y coming up because that's deny, right? Nothing more valuable What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? There's a guy named Jim Elliott. I just am curious, how many of you know who Jim Elliott is? If you don't, is not a big deal. But you know, Jim Elliott was a missionary in, in uh, uh, South America, you know, okay. He, it was in the fifties. And so this was a generation and, and I wish the story would continue to live because it's so powerful. But Jim Elliott was uh, a really accomplished athlete. was a great business mind, uh, had the fu- a future that you know anybody would dream of or want and believed that God was sending him to South America and he was going to be a missionary to a group of people who they didn't like missionaries. And uh, the long story short is, is that he was killed on the banks of a river with a handful of other friends um, for doing nothing but sharing jesus but there was a quote that that jim gave when he was at school at wheaton and it's just kind of stuck with me he said he's no fool who gives what he can't keep right we can't keep it to gain what he can't lose that's what jesus is saying but Jesus said it in a different way. He says, the kingdom of heaven in Matthew 13 is like a treasure hidden in a field. When you find it, you hide it again. And then in your joy, you go sell everything you have and you go back and buy it. And then he said, if you don't get that analogy, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found that one pearl, of great value, he went away and what did he do? He sold everything he had and he bought it because there is nothing more valuable. And then finally, you are necessary. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the son of man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his father's glory with the holy angels. Why does Jesus need us to stand up and to identify with him? Why is it such a big deal? Why is there such a sense of urgency? Why all the drama? I think of the times that the disciples followed Jesus. And then you see times when they didn't seem to follow quite as closely. If you think of good old Peter again, When the junior high girl came up and said, Hey, are you with Jesus? When Jesus was being tried and tortured, he looked at her and goes, I don't know that guy, right? But Jesus is saying, Look, I need you to stand with me. So I asked the question, Why? And the answer is super simple, friends. It's that Jesus was going in his physical body, he was leaving. I'm going to ascend into heaven which means that he went right back up into heaven and he left this gospel message with men and women like you and me. And this is what he's saying. He's saying too many people expect somebody else to do it. Too many people think somebody else is gonna serve. Too many people think somebody else will give. Too many people think somebody else will. And we wait for somebody else to do it. And Jesus said, if we don't, if I don't take it personally, this message will never turn into a mission that will end up affecting the entire world. Jesus says, what are you gonna do about it? He said, it's so important to stand up and identify with Christ, to take personal responsibility, to say, yeah, my next step of faith is to literally follow you, Jesus. So this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna turn my back on the old self. Isn't that kind of funny? Self, we've been friends long enough. It's time for me to get better friends. (laughs) I don't know, that cracks me up. All right, I get it. I turn my back on the person I used to be, all right? And I say, Jesus, I'm not 100% sure what this is gonna look like. But I'm in. Believe who you are your plan seems a little scary but i trust you here i am use me i want to follow you in this next footstep of faith let me pray for you because this is just five out of eight we got a ways to go over the next few weeks you got to come back but together we're building this life father thank you for my friends